You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about spiritualism, we talk about art, we talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, mediocrity, and meritocracy. We do sometimes talk about sexual assault, suicidal ideation, trauma, and whatnot. Yeah, we go there. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor. Not a therapist. Not an expert. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Hello! Welcome to episode 99 of Self-Worst I'm Brad Pearson, you know that 99 episodes! How about that shit? That's crazy! It, I mean, it only took me close to four years. Um, we are coming up as well on, on the anniversary of this show, September 18th, 2017. So about four years ago, I started this journey. Um, crazy, huh? I mean, uh, probably should have got to episode 100 a long time ago, but you know how it is. You know how it is. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm not going to get into that thought pattern, but I should be doing more, should have made more stuff by now, it should matter more, I should, I, should make more. I, should, I should be doing more, I should have more, I should have more money, I should have more clout, blah 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 blah, fuck that, I'm, I'm at where I'm at, I made it to episode 99, took me a little longer than other podcasts perhaps, what are you going to do? I, I am what I am, and I and I make what I make. So here we are. 99 episodes in. Am I going to do something special for episode 100? Am I going to do a 100th episode spectacular? Extravaganza? Spooktacular? Stay tuned. We'll see. Might just be a regular episode. Might just be, might just be normal. I don't know, cause I haven't planned it yet. That's why I don't get this put out on a regular basis, cause I do it by the seat of my pants. Look, guys, it's hard to bank episodes. It's hard to record one interview a week, much less bank episodes. So you have a backlog of episodes in case you uh, do what I did last week and go on vacation ill-advisedly perhaps in our Delta variant times but we booked it before like I said last episode we booked it before we knew all this we were like we're gonna go see the Doobie Brothers now that everything's fine and normal again (laughs) guess what (laughs) we went to Minnesota and uh, looks like looks like Michael McDonald has uh, COVID which sucks um, he's vaccinated. He'll be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, he should recover and everything. Uh, 
we I mean it's not confirmed, but he had to pull out of the show, so we found that out the afternoon of and we were like, God damn it. They're just the regular dumb old doobie brothers without Michael McDonald. We wouldn't have come all the way here. Just just for those guys. But you know, we went and we made the best of it, and they were making the best of it. Pat Simmons and Tom Johnston, you know, musical legends in their own right. They played great. Dude can shred. Tom Johnston can shred. They played a great show. It was outdoors. We did wear masks the whole time. Most people weren't wearing masks, but we wore them just to have another layer of protection. And uh, it was a good show. I'm glad we went. We made the best of it. We had the best of a disappointing situation, which has been what this whole fucking summer has been, huh? Goddamn Delta variant. Goddamn me breaking a toe. It's just been kind of a summer bummer. Now it's over. It's Labor Day weekend. Fuck. We just had a crazy flood. Hurricane. Uh, and we really, I mean, we really thought we were going to come back to a flooded apartment because we picked a great time to uh, move to a first floor unit. But everything was fine. Backyard was okay. Cellar's okay. It's all good. So, we did it. We're back. We're back in the New York groove. And uh, I'm recording, or, or I recorded this interview when I was in Minnesota because I'm that dedicated. I brought all my shit and I took time away from my leisure time, from my family time to record an episode because I am dedicated and I bring this to you and I gotta get to 100 episodes or nothing, or my life doesn't matter. Once I get to 100 episodes, I will be fulfilled as a person and I will like myself. Just watch. It's going to be, it's, it's gonna, a switch is going to flip. I'll be like, I made 100 episodes of a podcast, therefore, I'm worth a shit. So, who's the guest this week? Ah, it's my old friend, M.A. Pipers. Uh, she, we went to MCAD together. Um, and, you know, more of an acquaintance than a friend. I mean, I think we're friends now. I hope we're friends now. I think I, I consider her a friend now. We were more just like friendly acquaintances back in the day. She's very quiet. She was very withdrawn. And I wasn't, like, I don't know, the best at socializing when I was that age in college. But we just sort of knew each other. And I wasn't, like, going out of my way to, like, crack that particular nut. You know, meeting an introverted person it just wasn't my, uh, you know, thing then. But I got to know her via social media, um, you know, because we follow each other because we went to school together and stuff. And she's got a good social media presence and uh, has has good takes, is, is a smart person. And uh, I was like, you know what? Uh, I missed out, man. That's what social media taught me. It was like, uh, I, there's this whole person in there who uh, is actually really cool and smart. And uh, I want to have her on the show just based on her socials. I already knew her in person. How about that? See, social media can be good. Because I think it, I think one good thing that it does is it allows people who maybe uh, are more inhibited in just interpersonal, in-person stuff 
to just like say what they really mean and formulate a thought and get that shit out there and curate their ideas and and uh you know really really shine out there and sometimes it takes the internet it's okay that's i mean that's what tumblr taught us a whole generation of introverted weird little goth teens on on social media that's what online dating has done a whole generation of awkward sexually frustrated people finally getting out there getting laid it's great so you know social media can be a good tool i think was great i i i praise our social media overlords keep overthrowing our elections keep spreading disinformation keep interfering with our politics keep fucking with our society <sighs> it's great it's all good see there's a baby in a bathwater situation here happening with social media speaking of social media follow me at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter follow the show at selfworst on Twitter you can email the show at uh, selfworst at gmail.com nobody does that nobody but go ahead and be the first I have had like one one or two people reach out shout out to Corey I hope you're still listening man I, I had like a, a teen boy listener in, in Australia who reached out he emailed me very early on in the show and was like I like what you're doing mate that's a bad Australian accent but you get the gist of it Anyway, my first fan. Um, that's about it. Oh, patreon.com slash selfworst. Kick in some money. You know, I know we got a lot of that flowing around. We're all just rich as hell. So, you know, spend spend a little, just throw me, peel, peel me, peel me off a couple bills from your big stack, from your big roll of 20s and Benjamins. Just peel me off a couple because I know we're all rolling in money right now. We got plenty to spend on shit. So help me out. That's about it. Uh, I think we're ready to go, right? I'm tired. I'm always tired. I just got on. I just got back into New York yesterday. I have to go to work today and then I have the weekend off. It's a very funky week. I just put in this, uh, <laughs> I just put in this, uh, window film on our front facing windows that face out east. It's morning time. And it's this, it's this holographic, uh, like prism, light prism uh, film so that nobody can peep into our apartment and get creepy. Cause it's, you know, you have a first floor apartment. We got a sidewalk out. I don't like that. I don't like the feeling of people walking by. So we put a thing. But we still wanted to let the light in. And I found this stuff. And I was like, what do we do like a stained glass thing? Make it look like a cool like sanctuary. And then I found this stuff. This guy, it's like a... I mean, I don't know why I'm describing this on an audio podcast. Because I, you can't see it. But it's like, this room is filled with rainbows now. I found this stuff from Rainbow. What's it? Rainbow Connection. Rainbow Symphony. I don't know why I'm plugging them. They're not giving me any money. But I, you know what? I like their product. Fuck it. Now the whole room is filled with dazzling rainbows. It's... <laughs> I mean, they weren't kidding. 
it will fill your room with rainbows. Only direct sunlight, though, because I think like once the sun isn't shining in, it's it's just gonna look kind of. I don't know. Anyway, it's uh it's weird in here. I'm tired. I gotta go to work in like an hour. I hope to put this out in time. And um, I don't know. We're just we're just doing this, man. We're all just doing this. Okay, that's enough out of me. Let's get to the interview. I'll see you on the other side. We yeah, this is this is kind of like the most we've ever like really sat down and talked one on one. It's interesting. So tell us a little bit about you know yourself, uh, broad strokes, origin story, where you're from, and uh, you know how we came to know each other. I'm from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, my family lived all over the place, um, and I somehow ended up in Minneapolis. Uh, I wanted to go to art school, and I've been here ever since. We met. Um, I was 18 at the time. I don't know how you're probably like two years older than me, right? Something. I don't know something like that. Yeah, a couple of years, mm, a few uh, years. I'm old for my grade. Okay, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, we met um, because you were dating a person that I was friends with at the mm-hmm. time, um, and I initially remember a lot of disdain and like. Uh, <laughs> Um, not feeling like I was welcome. <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm sorry I gave you that impression. I don't know. It's okay. We, uh, uh, the person that I was friends with who you were dating at the time, um, we were getting into some some trouble, like just being hooligans, you know, yeah. like 18-year-olds are. And you all would always show up at those times. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. I don't know. I had my head up my ass when I was in college, to be perfectly honest. I was just was very uh, figuring myself out, as we all were. Oh, yeah. But you know how it is. Um, yeah, so um, let's see. You now work uh, at a bakery? Yes, I'm a cake decorator. A cake decorator. That's a. I mean, that's a... Um, that's like one of those like main character jobs, you know, like it's it's like something that somebody from like a rom-com would would do as like their as their day job. How'd you fall into that as a job? It was a complete fucking accident. Oh, can I swear on this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, cool. Fuck yeah, you can. OK, cool. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah, it was a complete accident. Um, I have worked in retail for probably the last 10 years mm-hmm. and I was working on a job that I hated so fucking much. And I, I walked into this big corporation and I saw one of um, uh, an old classmate from MCAD. And I was like, hey, are you, do you know if you all are hiring or whatever? I was like, yeah. So I applied to work um, in a produce department at a grocery store and I got called by a bakery instead hmm. um, within that grocery store. And then I worked in the bakery for years and years and then I got really bored. Um, and so I started kind of watching what was going on around me. Um, and one of the people that I learned from, um, she taught me everything. There's no like, uh, certification or any like pastry school I went to. Everything I've learned about cake decorating was from one person or two people, I guess. Um, and they just taught me everything. And I just like, you just slowly pick it up over time. And I've been doing it for like four years now. Um, wow. Is that your longest uh, run at a day job? Yes. I actually, so I I was a manager for three years and I uh, recently quit because mm-hmm. it was ruining my life. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just get 
I kept getting tacked on with all these responsibilities that were beyond my my pay, you know. Right. Um, and I was like, I just want to be a person that like shows up and makes stuff and then leaves. Mm-hmm. So I took a pay cut and became just a cake decorator instead of a manager. And um, I've been doing that for two months, so it's great. Yeah, I mean, that is the choice that, I mean, there's a couple of choices in there of what, you know, you do after art school. Do you go with uh, just a a bill-paying job or do you uh, pursue some sort of career, whatever you can eke out, you know, in the arts um, and try and get paid to do that, which is, you know, I, I, I mean, people will say it's harder, but I don't know if it's necessarily, I don't know more valid as a job or anything like that you know with with like quote unquote low stakes jobs like i've had pretty much you know since college um part of me has always felt like i should be doing like since i went to college for this particular vocation that means i wasted all this time or wasted my degree and stuff like that you know that that like i get into my head about that is that something that gets into your head oh, like yeah. I, I didn't go to fucking cake school what am i doing <laughs> yeah absolutely that does get in my head um and i've had to step away from that a lot i've you know uh in your pre-interview questions mm-hmm. uh, you did this compare and despair thing which was like that was happening a lot when i was younger where it was like some of my peers are going to California to do, to, you know, pursue like animation or these yeah. like really cool jobs. And I'm working at a fucking grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't feel that way anymore. Uh, I'm okay with it. What it, got it, you out of that, uh, headspace? Just, just being like, I need fucking health insurance. Like, I, yeah. I need health insurance to survive. Right. And like, the cheapest way to have health insurance is to through employment in the United States. Right. Um, even if you try to get it through the government, it's still costly. Like, so that was my option, and I'm. I just settled. It was like, it's money. You know, it just, I just need something to fucking pay my bills and help me survive. <laughs> right. And like, I, I kind of realized like at the end of art school that like, maybe I'm not a super corporate or like, uh, or, the, or that kind of like designer or artist, you know, I can't like show up at a target corporation and be like, I'm going to design luggage for children or like, right. <laughs> like making art is, uh, more more joy joyous to me than you know um, right. having it be a job i guess I don't so know. you've you've found it uh harder like impossible to like square that circle of like here's this thing i love here's how i can just maybe imply apply it in just you know maybe an albeit sort of cynical way towards some corporate bullshit working for you know target which i know people who, who do yeah. and um or, or, you know, just like designing, you know, just greeting cards, board games, you know, some shit I don't care about. But it's a thing that I know how to just run myself through uh, for some, you know, whatever client is paying, be it a, a hospital or a TV studio or whatever, you know, book jackets, who cares? I can just churn out. But if it's not something that's coming from me and not something that I'm doing for love, then I'm just not going to be able to focus on it nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I I feel like when I think about doing projects like that, I 
sometimes I get overwhelmed with just the amount of time that I would have to spend on it. It's like, I could, you could get me to pay attention to making some, some bullshit. Like I could make a podcast for, uh, I don't know, uh, some, I don't know, a, a hospital or a, or a, or a, uh, airline or some shit if they want to put out something. But I don't think I could concentrate on it day in, day out, like forever. Like it's, yeah. you know, it would have to be just a short term project because I, like, I wouldn't be able to I mean, like, oh, okay, here's the third year I've been working on some podcasts about this or that thing that I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know how me, people make themselves care. And like, it's a, I don't know if it's, it's equal parts. Like I'm too much of a, I don't know, a sensitive, like art boy uh and part like just an add thing where like i have to be passionate about something on some level and also mentally functioning pretty well to even give a shit yeah um we were talking in the car on the way over here how you um went through a bit of a spell uh where you just sort of everything that you loved you you ended up hating and uh like that i mean that's real man i i feel that like i've felt that i've run into that before even with this show where i'm just like i don't even want to fucking do this anymore yeah. go back and listen listener you you can find episodes where like i clearly don't give a shit sometime <laughs> around like last year uh like about this time last year like i was about ready to be done because like there was the pandemic was happening there was like riots everywhere and i was like why am i doing this podcast like why am i ringing people up and and just like cold calling people like you want to be on my podcast about feelings you know like while the world is on fire like i couldn't do it anymore so like i don't know can you talk a little bit about uh you know what that period was like because that yeah. you know that sucks yeah it was very real like you said um so i was uh like i was saying earlier i, I played in a band for uh, a couple of years and the band ended and it was kind of weird um we all ended on good terms but like i felt kind of like abandoned and weird and lonely um my the the people that i played music with you know they had other bands that they kind of went fell back on so they had projects that they f could fall back on but i was just like what the fuck do i do like i have, i feel like i have nothing um this, that was your thing. <laughs> and, um, I was like, wait, wait, you all got side projects? I didn't know about the fucking side projects. This, well, is, this was the band. The band. The band. My band. Well, no, I mean, like, they, they always had those projects. Was it your band? Or, or were, you like, were you, like, the front person of the band? I was the primary songwriter mm. and the lead singer and the guitar player. So, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. Um, and uh, in that process, I discovered that I hated being the front person. I, I mm. don't like it when there's a lot of people watching me. I don't like, um, like, I just felt so anxious all the time, all the time. And we went on a two week tour. And, um, when we went on that tour, I hadn't been like, there was a lot of like undiagnosed mental illness stuff going on. So. I was in a van with like five other people um, and could barely communicate with like what I was feeling or my mental well-being or any of that. Yeah. Um, and it was it was tough and it I learned a lot about myself from that 
two weeks of being in a van with five other people. Mm. Um, but yeah, the so whole. So you were you were anxious not even just during performing, but like rehearsal, just getting in the van, going places, like any any like minute to minute. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because um, I mean, stage fright is one thing, but then just to have it like just sort of spill out into your you know your twenty four seven is that's a whole nother. Yeah, it was it was a lot, and I I realized, you know, kind of too late that like I don't have the personality to be in a band, I think, or play play music in a group, or kind mm-hmm. of pursue that sort of lifestyle where you're waiting around to play music and traveling. Although the the traveling aspect was the best part of it, you know, <laughs> as uh, difficult as the tour was, we saw the most beautiful things. Yeah. Like we saw the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. um, we saw Yellowstone. We drove up the West Coast. It was the most beautiful shit I've ever seen in my life, and I'm grateful for the experience. But you know, I learned a lot from that as well mm-hmm. um, about my own personal boundaries. What did you major in in college? Um, illustration. Illustration. I thought so. Yeah. So, um, th- have you? Um, what has your trajectory been with, with doing that lately? Have you, have you been drawing still? Have you been, uh, doing that, uh, when you can or? Yeah, I kind of fell off the wagon for that for a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do a lot of, uh, different things. Like I, I, I've made comics and like zines and stuff, um, like flyers for shows and things like that. So it's not just just illustration. Like I do a lot of different things. Um, I have recently started um, getting back into like doing bigger, more complex illustrations. Um, I'll be at like few and far between. Um, Mm. And also if I feel good enough to like work on stuff, which is also few and far between. Um, But yeah, I like, I still have this pipe dream of like being an illustrator. Right. Like my, you know, I have these like dreams of like having a, an illustration in the New York Times. That's like my only life goal. Right. And, like, and once I, if I ever get that in my life, you know, then that's right. it. I'm good. <laughs> that's so you said you, when you were on tour, you were dealing with some undiagnosed mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it end up being diagnosed as? I mean, I all, uh, well, I've, before that, I, I was diagnosed with a major depressive disorder and general anxiety disorder in my early 20s. And so I, I knew that I had that. Right. Um, but you had a major kinda, general. Major general. Just kind of ignored it, like uh-huh. a lot of people. Um, I didn't understand my sensitivity at the time. Right. Um, I, I've always felt like an alien. Um, as far as how I process things and like my emotions and things. Um, So, you know, being a highly sensitive person that I am, uh, my sensory input is like super loud. Like I'm really sensitive to like a lot of voices and like people. And um, had I known that on that tour, you know, that would have helped me and I could have like set boundaries. Right, that is, I mean, you're literally, you're crowding in with a lot of people 24 7 to make a lot of noise it's by definition so that's that is intense for somebody who is uh, you know has a sensitive uh, is is sensitive to noise and input and is easily overwhelmed yeah and so that's just like not putting yourself in the best environment 
And in order to like process my emotions and like whatever's going on in my life, I need to be alone. Mm. That's just a rule that I have for myself. And I just need to be alone for a chunk of time every day. And Mm. when you're in a van with five other people, you don't have time to be alone. And so I had no time to process what was going on around me. And like, I, it started affecting my mood and my mood started affecting the environment in the van. And I'm a huge believer of, you know, everyone's responsible for the environment they create. Right. And I was creating an environment that was kind of hostile and like not cool. Yeah. Um, And that sucked. And like, I feel really bad about that, but at the same time, you know, that was my learning opportunity. To yeah, be like, I mean, that is what it is. I mean, that's probably like how I was acting towards you when I was in college. <laughs> like I wasn't, I was, I never had an ill thought about you, like honestly, but like I just like, I was probably just really unhappy. Like I don't even remember how I acted, but it probably wasn't great. Like I remember being a dick for sure. Um, especially in that relationship because it was like one of my first and like I had no idea how to fucking navigate any of that. And, and just being, you know, again, walking around with undiagnosed or semi-diagnosed mental illness. At that point I knew that I had ADD at that point I knew that I had some depression, but I wasn't seeing a therapist and I wasn't doing anything about it. I wasn't medicated. I was like, okay, I have depression and I have ADHD. Guess I got to keep just like getting up in the morning and going to school though. Cause I don't know. And you know, I guess like now that it's summer, I'm supposed to get a day job, but I'm not gonna, I'm just going to (laughs) like smoke weed all the time and sleep till noon. You know, like, um, like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know, and, and it, the worst part of, I think, well, one of the worst parts of mental illness is looking back and seeing how you've affected other people and how you have like not been your best self to other people. Like you can let yourself down and like, that's one thing. And like, Oh, if like, I've got all these shortcomings. I've like, haven't lived up to my potential and like that sucks. But like, and I'm a little disappointed with like how I've, you know, how my career is gone or whatever. I'd be maybe in a better spot if I wasn't so fucking crazy. But, you know, it's it, the, the thing that really gets me is just like, oh, I was a dick. Like I was like, it, it led me to be unkind and, and, you know, take out anger and take out anxiety on other people, which is just like, then you're making it someone else's problem. And that's when it's not okay, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Can yeah. I uh, can I share a positive memory sure. of you? Um, sure. So you and Toby ran film club. Yeah. Um, and you introduced me to one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Which yeah. one? Angus. Hey, oh, that movie. And it was. Uh, I fucking love that movie. You'd never seen it before. I had never wow. seen it before, and it changed my life. And I love that movie to death yeah i own the soundtrack yeah I, the soundtrack fucking rips it's so good and like i've watched uh youtube interviews with like the directors and shit mm-hmm. like i love that movie so much and they filmed it here in minnesota they did has um, a like has a sick like 90s pop punk soundtrack which like pop punk is like really like kind of one of your main uh things right like one of your main uh, you, your favorite yes. genres. Yeah, it's say, very. Right? It's been very prevalent in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just remember um, showing up to film club. It was like one of the first social things I did in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just show up, and it was a good time. You'd always. Uh, 
it's always just fun, you know, and like just being in a group of like not a lot of people, but just like laughing at stupid shit and like. <laughs> Um, but I remember the night it was Angus and then Good Burger and like you you both like kind of introduced the the movie night and you were just like these two movies are about hamburgers (laughs) (laughs) or something like that Um, but yeah it was super fun and um, yeah Angus Angus is still one of my favorite movies yeah, it's I mean I was really lucky to have met Toby in college I think he brought out the best in me um like when i think of when i was really at my best in college was when i was like either living with him or like working with him a lot on on creative projects it just like it you meet people you know usually once maybe twice in a lifetime where you're just like oh this person like actually like does something magnetic and just like charges me in the right way that i'm actually like you know i I can actually put things out that are a higher capacity like you know like with with like i don't know easy example is like the beatles you know they're lennon and mccartney their solo stuff is like it's okay but it's never as good as it was when they were the beatles because they needed each other to kind of edit and rein each other in and like not like get up their own asses because they both did have their heads up their asses so um it's yeah, like this it's, particular social dynamic. Yeah, it's just you meet somebody who just like has a vibe and and you you connect with them on some level and and all of a sudden you you just feel like you just feel more confident. You just feel like like I actually am a funny person and my ideas are good and like my my shit is worth a shit and you know like I I can actually put stuff out and like that's you know cuz I didn't have it myself. Um you know, at that age, certainly, like I, I couldn't do it myself. I can still barely do it myself. You know, I don't know. I miss Toby. Come back, Toby. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, so you started going to uh, therapy at some point and started and started dealing with with stuff. Um, yeah. Talk about talk a little bit about that. Like, what led you in there, and you know, when? How did you know? Like, okay, that time to time to get a grip. Um. I mean, I've always felt like really weird. <laughs> yeah, I've I've felt like an alien for most of my life. Um, so I I think when I started going to college, um, that's when shit started rolling. Like I was not well. Um, my second year at art school, in particular, I just remember like my my type one diabetes was like super out of control, and like my it was starting to affect my health and I felt really desperate and I was also like that was the kind of the beginning of like a lot of alcohol consumption and like um not dealing with things in a in a healthy way um so I sought out um the the counselor that was at our school and I remember I just like uh, scheduled an appointment with him and like I basically wept for an hour um and was and he was like well you're, you certainly seem like a candidate for medication. You should uh, go see a, a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe I should. Um, so then I saw like an actual uh, therapist a handful of times when yeah. I was probably in my early 20s. Um, and it was helpful, but I, like, I wasn't ready for it. You know, I feel like you have to be 
in a place in your life where you have to be willing to go to therapy. And yeah. I, I was at an age where I was not willing to do that and I wasn't ready to do it. Um, so for several years, I ignored a lot of my mental illnesses and like my depression and just like everything. I just kind of stuffed it to the back, yeah. avoided it. Well, it's, ma- it's way more fun and way more, I don't know, uh, socially acceptable. And I dare say way more Minnesotan to just, you know, drink it away. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, that's, that's what, what they do around here. Yes. So that was easy. Does um, type 1 diabetes uh, have an effect on how your body processes alcohol? I don't really know how it... It's different for everyone. Um, it, it does this thing where it will, like, make your blood sugar go really low and then, mm-hmm. like, peak later on. But um, I have this, like smart technology insulin pump and like it, it it's based on like an algorithm so mm-hmm. it like learns the data that your body gives it and then it just like helps you kind of it's it's kind of like just like a regular um what's the name of it oh fuck <laughs> pancreas right <laughs> my the one body the one organ in my body that doesn't work um so yeah, I mean it just like it's smart. So and and you can like adjust your insulin pump to like give less insulin for mm-hmm. a certain amount of time and things like that. So, it, so you can adjust it and be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie one on later, so I'm gonna <laughs> adjust the pump so that I'm so I'm good. Yeah, and like a, a good example of that is like I bike uh, 15 miles every day wow. um, to get to work and. I do this thing with my insulin pump where it's like, oh, make it so that my blood sugar stays in a certain range so that I don't get a hypoglycemia or like, you know, whatever mm-hmm. else. Um, so it's all adjustable. It's all manageable now. There's technology that, that can do that for you. Yeah. How do you, though, as a working class person, justify having uh, such a fancy piece of technology? Don't, do you feel like you, I mean, you know, don't, don't you feel like you kind of, as, a, as a, a poor person, don't really, you haven't quite earned something that's a life-saving technology for, for you know? <laughs> this, this insulin pump, um, when I got it, uh, probably like a year and a half ago, uh-huh. You know, my insurance covered most of it, but when they told me the price of it, I was like, can you repeat that to me so that I can write it down? Because it was yeah. so fucking expensive. And I was like, how the fuck? Like, <laughs> how is this even real? Yeah. My insulin pump costs uh, at least $11,000. 11000 Without insurance. Jesus. I paid, I think, like 1300 for it. Um and I mean, that's still a lot of fucking money. But, um, yeah. Like, and this insulin pump it uses like, uh, like, I don't know if it's like Bluetooth, but it, it uses some sort of communication. So I have this like sensor in my arm that communicates with the insulin pump and you can't go through airport security scanners with it because mm-hmm. it'll fuck up the motor inside of the insulin pump. Yeah. Because of like the magnetic uh, field or whatever and so the last time that I flew I got I almost like punched a guy in the throat <laughs> at like JFK TSA because he's like oh no it's fine you can go through the magnetic scanner it's not gonna do anything I was like yeah it is like the company basically told me that you an airport employee is gonna fight me and try right. to get me to go through this magnetic 
field, and I can't, or else it'll fuck up this $11,000. One day you're going to run into some jerk off at TSA, and he's going to tell you to run through the air. Like, don't. You might die. I, I literally was like, listen, dude, like, I don't want to inconvenience you. I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. Yeah. If I could walk through that fucking magnetic scanner, I would. But, like, I don't want you to feel me up. Like, I don't want anyone to, like... Yeah. <laughs> but I can't go through this fucking skin. Can you please just accommodate me for once? Sorry to inconvenience you. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I can only imagine the level of anxiety having, you know, just... I mean, on one level, you know, you can kind of bright side it and be like, it's cool, because I'm almost like a cyborg. I have, like, a Bluetooth device connected to me, like... You know, and you can have fun with it, but it's also like there's something uh, like attached to my body that I wouldn't be able to live without, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, or like a, you know, if, if you have like a pacemaker or anything like that, where you're just like my body can't run on its own, like that has to be a terrifying feeling. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it is. Um, I've been in situations where my insulin pump has been like, you gotta you gotta fix the situation <laughs> right the check engine light comes on yeah yeah in the simplest of terms and if i don't fix it my body will you know react you right. know my like if i don't have insulin my blood sugar will keep going up and up and up and if i eat food it'll keep going up and like you will slowly die um yeah and i've felt you know like hyperglycemia so like this is often what type one diabetics die from is just being having such a high blood sugar that their body just like slowly shuts down um and the way that it manifests is like through nausea and like it just makes you feel so fucking sick and like i've been in situations not a lot thankfully but um you know i've been at work where like my my insulin pump has failed or something and i was so sick that like i had to leave um, and I, I couldn't ride my bike home because I was too sick. I had to get on the bus with my bike. You yeah. Know? It's, it's really terrifying. And, like, people that don't have access to insulin, like, I cannot fathom the amount of stress that they go through. How much does insulin cost now? I mean, it depends on, like, what insurance you have. Yeah. If you have insurance, um, the last time... I've, I've kind of lucked out. Um, I, I'm in a situation where, like, I can get five months' worth at a time. Um, and I think the last time I got it, it was, like, like around $350 for five months. And that's pretty okay. But yeah. there have been times in the past where, like, one vial of insulin, which lasts me a month, is, like, $220. And, like, if you're paying that every month, it's, like... That's like a car payment. Like, yeah. Or like fucking like, and that's why I don't have a car. Because <laughs> right. I, I have diabetes. Right. Diabetes is my car. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it runs on blood sugar. <laughs> you could hook up the uh, the Bluetooth, though, to like the speakers and oh, yeah, like yeah. run it. Like, I don't know. You could maybe like have like a key fob. Yeah. Start the car. Yes, I'm going to do that. I don't know. That's the next phase. <laughs> um, so... Are you still? Do you still drink? Are you still? Um, are you still drinking now? Yes. Yeah. Um, but you've talked about how you've gone through phases of uh, maybe drinking too much, um, and and that it's be- become problematic. Have you ever thought about like quitting, or um, what's your relationship with it, Ben? 
I am in the process of trying to undo a lot of negative thought patterns. Um, mm. And that's basically the reason why I drink. Mm. Um, it's all based on like routine and like weird, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to therapy and like, I, this is something that we talk about every time. Right. It's like some weeks are better than others. Like I, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's big. Like it's a, it's a big part of my life that I'm trying to like control. Um, right. And I don't think anyone really knows about it that much. Um, But uh, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, the reason I started drinking was purely out of anxiety. Mm. Um, When I moved to Minneapolis, I moved here with a fake ID. (laughs) Because, like, all I wanted when I was 18 years old was to just be drunk all the time because it made me feel good. And I was getting a lot of feedback at that age that was, like, you're really fun when you're drunk. You're way more fun when you're drunk. You're, like, so cool when you're drunk. <laughs> like, right. just, like, the, all the wrong things to tell a 17-year-old, like, really self-conscious girl yeah. type of thing, you know? Right. Um, you're actually likable when you drink. I really liked you when you're <laughs> drunk. <laughs> like, wow, you're actually cool. <laughs> and, like, obviously, yeah, it, like, completely crushed all my inhibitions and, like, made me, like, just so, you know dumb little monster um so i you know i moved here and then i was like so anxious all the time and like literally on my second or third day i was like at the the liquor store down the street yeah just getting like a handle of whatever uh alcohol and just drinking as much as i could and like put me in a lot of situations that i could have avoided mm-hmm. um i've gotten a lot of injuries <laughs> because of uh being drunk and like I don't know. It just it just makes me a person that I like really don't like and like I want to be a better person. Yeah. But I'm so stuck in these like thought patterns. Um and it's constantly a work in progress. Can um, you specify a little bit about like what the thought patterns are? Like can you give me an example of what the what the thought pattern is that you're trying to like you know break the circuit on? It's so hard to say. Um it has to do with like this mischievous feeling, this feeling of freedom. Like it, it there's certain times of day, of of the day where where it's like really fucking loud. Like it always happens when I clock out of work. It's mm. like instantaneously, I'm like, I want alcohol right now. Um, and I think it, it just has to do with like being f- <laughs> like being free. That sounds really stupid, but like not being obligated to like work or like wasting my time on other things you know um there's a release in it yeah um and it just i mean it's a drug it makes me feel good yeah sure i mean that's that's why people drink i don't know (laughs) i mean you know and like i i hope that i don't sound like i'm you know uh trying to say that you should stop drinking or anything like that i mean i don't i don't have any skin in that game you know like um but have you considered uh stopping entirely at, a, at any point yes and i and i did um the longest i was sober was 37 days last summer wow and it was awful i was uh, <laughs> so anxious yeah and like i felt like shit all the time and like anytime i deal with these like cravings they're so intense they 
just like fucking fire in my body. Um, But, you know, like, like I said earlier, like, this is why I'm going to therapy. Like, I need to talk about this shit. I need to figure it out. Um, And my therapist is very, she's very patient and good. And she's like, don't be too hard on yourself. I'm like, I'm super fucking hard on myself. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, this is, uh, like, alcohol makes me feel like a really shitty person. Right. Um, But I'm, you know, stuck in this cycle. Wow. So. What do you um, hope to eventually, like, get to with your relationship with it? I just want a healthy relationship Mm. with alcohol. Like, there's nothing more I want than to just, like, have one glass of wine and be like, okay, I'm done. Right. Like, that's normal, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's, That's what normal people do. But, you know, I... I think I'm genetically predisposed to it and all of my like whatever childhood trauma stuff uh, set me up to be like, I just want all the alcohol in the world inside of my body. (laughs) Um, You said at some point in the pre-interview that being diabetic, uh, uh, it forced you to be aware of every bodily sensation, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and I guess just in terms of being really vigilant of your, you know, how your blood sugar is making you feel at the moment. So, I mean, the thing that uh, I guess was appealing to me when I started drinking was that when I was growing up, I didn't drink when I was younger. I didn't even really drink until I started going to MCAD, honestly. Um, And, uh, what I realized was it finally shut off the like the anxiety valve in yeah, my head. Yeah. Like it was finally like I don't have this just constant uh, frame of like I will be destroyed. Like I could be I could be you know something could go wrong. I could get hurt. Like someone could hurt me. Uh, just running in my head all the time. I just finally felt like unafraid yeah. and like to experience the world in that mode was just like yeah, I mean it was it was incredible it was life changing and like I don't regret um learning it that way because it's the only thing that would have taught me that you know like mm-hmm. it's it's the only way that I was going to be pushed into um being a little bit more being bold in ways that I wasn't going to be able to just, I guess, socially. Yeah. I mean, and you talked about, uh, you know, that you are fairly, I don't know, uh, socially awkward that you're, you're, you're a very, um, I mean, you're a very introverted person. You need a lot mm-hmm. of alone time to recharge. Um, but you know, alcohol, obviously like its main selling point is that it's a social lubricant, Yeah. you know? So, I mean, that's, that's all it is for me. Yeah. It, uh, that's what, that's why I drink and that's why I, I, not not so much anymore like I don't need alcohol to interact with people <laughs> but right. uh, when I was younger yes it helps so much and what you were just saying also it turns off it turns off my brain and that's why why it's so appealing it's like it shuts off my processing and it's quiet and I can just be like drunk and happy and like listen to shitty pop music. Yeah. You know, like that's what, that's what I do. I'm always, I'm eternally jealous of people who seem to just be able to vibe, um, yeah. naturally, you know, who just can like, just like go outside and like 
sit in a hammock in the sun or just like hear yeah hear like a mariah carey song on the radio in their car <laughs> and like just start dancing to it and just like have a nice time like it just i just have never been able to do that i mean speaking of like kind of first experiences at art school um I was there for student orientation one time and I forget where we were going, but they chartered a school bus and we were all in this bus together and they were doing the thing where they all just start singing, you know, together on the bus. Like every, mm. all the students were just singing and chanting shit together on the bus. And I remember just thinking like, well, I can't, I can't do this. Like, and, and like turning to the person next to me, and and just seeing just how happy and enthralled they were just with the experience of just like I'm just gonna sing this like you know these like few bars of uh, Baby Got Back that I know you know <laughs> until I until we all um, you know after after the line uh, when a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a big thing in your face you get sprung what's the next nobody knows nobody knows anything past that and like and everybody just starts mumbling it and like and then they move on to another song but they were all just so happy to be doing that and i was like i can't i can't i can't do this i guess i'm just gonna have to start drinking and i wasn't drinking at that time you know like this was before i really started doing that and i was just like i guess if i'm going to make friends that's how i'm gonna have to do it i don't want to but that's just going to have to be it because I'm just so unhappy like and alienated from everybody. Um, you talked about how you were briefly uh, straight edge. Um, yeah. <laughs> like you, you went through like a bit of a minor threat phase. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I, I loved minor threat when I was, when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, it just... At that time, I was attending a high school with a bunch of like rich white kids um and they had access to all sorts of things Mm -hmm. um they were getting drunk all the time smoking weed all the shit like that you do as a teenager but at that time i was like none of this is cool to me like i just none of this speaks to me i i i'm not interested (laughs) and then out of nowhere there's ian mckay and fucking minor threat and like fugazi and like all these bands that are just like you don't need to be drunk like you can just have a good time by just like playing music and like doing all these other things and so at a very young age i decided that like creative endeavors were my thing like i'm gonna get into music i'm gonna make art i'm gonna do whatever that's everything that's not drinking mm. which is the complete opposite of my reality now <laughs> <laughs> wow um Talk a little bit about body image, because um, you talked about in the pre-interview form, you were saying that uh, you didn't really feel like, I don't know, at all comfortable in your body until you were somewhere in your 20s, which I think honestly is kind of par for the course for like most people, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, especially in America. Like I, I feel like most people, uh, most women, uh, that, for whatever reason, have a really hard time uh, feeling comfortable with their bodies. So, uh, what's, what's that journey been like for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a universal journey, especially with women. Um, I don't know, like, like the, the women in my family versus like what the media was presenting to me was really different. Like all of the women in my family were like super sporty and like 
you know, like <laughs> they didn't adhere to like these like weird fashions or whatever. They just wore what they wanted and like, but then there was also this other side where it's like the media is like pushing all this, like all these images and all this shit onto women. It's like, you gotta look this way. You gotta do this. You gotta like, this is what a real woman is. Like, um, and like, and also like the, kind of going back to like the bodily sensations of like type one diabetes, like the hyper awareness of like how my body felt also kind of played into like how I looked. And it's like, um, I just didn't like my body. And like, uh, I also have celiac disease and celiac disease, like one of the most um, kind of like prominent uh, symptoms of it especially in children is like kind of this malnourished gut so it's like one of those yeah. like giant guts that kind of sticks out so I had a little bit of that um, so I was just like this like really small like big gutted kid <laughs> right. and uh, a that, little pin. yeah and yeah. like I you know I also didn't really like understand like gender stuff at that time either like I was so confused by like what the world was telling me about like femininity and like women but I also knew that like I wanted to ride a skateboard and like wear baggy pants and right. like were you a bit of a tomboy oh yeah 100 percent. yeah I didn't even know if tomboy is like still like the term you're supposed to use I have no idea but so far as I know that word has not been uh uh, I don't know, deemed problematic or anything. I think it's fine, but yeah. But yeah. we also, we've come a long way in terms of our understanding of, of gender and gender fluidity and mm-hmm. um, gender presentation and, and, and all of that stuff. So, I mean, just in our lifetimes, it's it's really, it's changed a lot. It has. Um, you know, we, we, I think when we were younger, um, we just didn't even have the language no, not for at any all. of that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, would you describe yourself as, as gender fluid? Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, I'm still like learning how to be comfortable with like this vocabulary and Mm -hmm. stuff because like you said, like we, I think particularly like our generation of people, um, we're like kind of right before that sort of like Tumblr, like Gen Z, um, everybody knows their pronouns and shit. yeah, Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah i'm just like i'm okay like i you know i'm fine with presenting as a woman like i'm right. i'm okay with my body now and like i you know what I, changed what was how are you able to um to to be comfortable how did you how did your attitude change i don't know i, I think it was just natural mm-hmm. um i think from just like growing up and like understanding who I am as a person and like just kind of accepting it. It wasn't like a big thing for me. Hmm. It was just kind of one day I was like, you know, some days I feel more masculine, some days I feel more feminine and like I will present in the way that I want to present. Um, whether it's like looking like super fucking hot or like just wearing like big clothes like I whatever yeah. <laughs> you know? your look when we were in college you had a very distinctive look it was hair in the face it was like mm-hmm. the, the, the emo swoop yep. <laughs> hoodies and like fairly baggy clothing yeah you know um and, and it was it was like very much your look like I had my hoodie on the chair um 
when, when I was setting up and I was just like, oh yeah, Emma's probably going to be like, she's, I bet she shows up in a hoodie, even though it's like 80 degrees. You did not. Um, but I remember you wearing them like all year round for, for a while there. Yeah. And it was yeah. just like, yeah, the, the sullen look, it was very, it was very much just like, oh, that girl's a mood. That girl's a mood. <laughs> Yeah, that's very accurate. That's like all I fucking wore. It's just like t-shirt, jeans, hoodie, and then a beanie when it was cold. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would, were you like specifically into like the emo scene? No. Not really so much. No, I just I I just really like like pop punk and like punk music in general. Mm-hmm. Like that all that like emo sort of like MySpace shit that happened in the mid two thousands was like after. Right. I was a certain age and like it just didn't speak to me after you passed the age where you're like impressed impressionable enough to actually like that stuff (laughs) i think is what yeah i mean what was it about pop punk that that did it for you i don't know i you know like my i have two of my older siblings like were into punk rock you know as teenagers and so of course like everything they did was super cool to me Mm. um so they would give me their their cds and stuff and like when I was really young, my brother gave me a CD. It was uh, this band called Lagwagon. And it's just like this like shitty pop punk band. Mm-hmm. But um, I loved it. And like, I don't know what it was, but there's this ideology that like, if a person seeks out punk rock, it's there's a reason why. Um, whether it's like they have a fucked up childhood or like they're depressed or like whatever. Right. Um, it speaks to an alienation for sure. Yeah. And... Like, and especially at that time too it was like the early 2000s um, and it was like pretty prevalent in like media or starting to be at least like yeah. um, but I remember like Blink-182 was like huge for me and like I you know I, it was weird like being a really young kid and being like people don't like me for my looks. So I'm going to just be really interested in something else that doesn't involve my looks or like how I present or like, and so that's what music was for me. It was like this escape from like who I was and like what I, how I walked around the world. You were telling me that you, um, you've recently discovered sort of new passions with electronics mm-hmm. and and computers and coding and all of this really uh right brain left brain. we'll say left i think it's left left is the logical one sure. we'll we'll just go with that because <laughs> it's not actually it's been debunked or whatever it's yeah. like it's metaphorical it's not physically literally your left brain is in control of that anyway it's um sort of off the beaten path for you because you have been more of a of a, a visceral emotional uh type of artist your whole life and this is very different from what you've been doing can you talk a little bit about what got you into that what you like about it and um and all of that yeah so um i got really into electronics after my band called it quits um i was just trying to find a new way to make something like i i was really like burnt out on drawing and like just comics and like everything that I was doing um and I wanted to to learn something uh like I found this list that I wrote at this time and it was like a bunch of things that I wanted to happen and it was like one of the things on there was to learn something practical um like excel (laughs) or or like (laughs) just like something 
So you don't have to lie on your resume about knowing Excel like everybody <laughs> else does. Yeah. And like, I was also watching a lot of YouTube videos at the time. And I think the YouTube algorithm helped me um, in discovering some people on there that like helped me start uh, research like electronics. So. I'm glad that the YouTube algorithm actually helped you and didn't do what it does to most people and push them down like a like right wing rabbit hole. So that's good. I love YouTube. YouTube yeah. is like one of my main sources of uh, entertainment. Uh -huh. Just because you can, you can learn. I think they got everything on there. Everything, and it's like, I don't really watch a lot of movies or TV, but I watch YouTube. Um, mm. and YouTube is great, um, and it's basically the main source of how I've learned a lot of my electronics as well. So, I discovered a lot of different people. So there is one uh, like. I hate I hate the the term YouTuber because ultimately they're just creators. They're people that are really creative. They make films and they put them on YouTube. Right. Um, so there's one person, Simone Yertz. Um, she's known for making like shitty robots. Mm -hmm. um, but that was one of my inspirations. And then there's uh, another person called William Osman, um, and he makes just like a bunch of weird shit with electronics. Um, or just any sort of like electrical engineering. And this is a whole like sect on YouTube. Like you can find this stuff yeah. um, pretty easily. But um, I kept hearing this word when I was watching these videos and it was the word Arduino. And I was like, Arduino, I keep hearing this word. What the fuck is an Arduino, Arduino, Arduino. And so I Googled it and Arduino is a, is a microcomputer. It's really small. It's probably like this big. Um, she's indicating about the size of a, um, mm. a little bit smaller than a CD. A little bit smaller yeah, it's than like, like, it's like a like a like a little, little fat business card. Okay. Almost. Yeah. Um, it's basically just like a tiny computer, and you can just hook it up with a USB to a computer, and you can upload code, and you can basically make this computer do whatever you want. So, you can make uh, LEDs flash. You can um, you can make like buttons make sounds and things like so through Googling and like watching things on YouTube, I started getting more and more interested in this like microcomputer. And I finally ordered like an off-brand, uh, like cheap microcomputer starter set. And so it came with all these like components and stuff. And like, I got that and then I bought a book. Um, and those were the two things that helped me learn. And like, I read this whole book like in two days, I think. Um, and it just teaches you like what electricity is, what an Arduino is, and like how they work together and stuff. And it's like really easy to understand. The language is um, it's like accessible enough to where like a child could understand it. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'd I'm pretty dumb. I feel <laughs> like I couldn't be able to. I think you could. Do I it. think I could do it. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 a lot. Like I felt pretty overwhelmed when I started getting into it. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is like too much but uh it's not like you just you just slowly start to learn these things and like put them together and mm -hmm. it, it it ends up like building electronics is like like putting together like a really complicated lego set yeah. i said that earlier um and it's like all these like weird components like you don't really understand a lot of it and like if something doesn't work there's a reason Right. Why? And there's there's no room for emotions in electronics. It's just like either something works or it doesn't. Right.
and that's what drew me to it. It was just this very like black and white sort of like yeah. either something is true or it's not. I've heard this. Um, it's a very different thing, but I've heard when somebody explained it to me, it made sense in almost the same way. Um, and because I'm not a big sports guy, but somebody was explaining to me that the reason they like sports so much is because the world is chaotic and there's no fucking justice. There's no doesn't seem to be like a real universal sense of right and wrong. But on a sports field, there is. There are rules. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's like cheaters and there's unfair, you know, matches. There's unfair, you know, there's 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 all ways, kinds of ways that you can sort of uh, fuck with that system. But it sets itself to, up to be more and more unfuckwithable. Yeah. You know, like it. if there are ways around those rules, they'll develop more rules to make sure that that gets weeded out and so it creates this system where especially even like as a consumer of that sport say you watch soccer or football or cricket cricket whatever you know every every week then there's this hour or two where there's a world of things that actually makes sense and yeah. there's like a it, it actually follows some sort of protocol and it doesn't just seem like fucking chaos coming out of nowhere you know with like fucking like pandemics and riots and fucking wars and shit you know like it's just it's too much that makes a lot of sense yeah I, I understand why 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 people love sports you know yeah it's like for a moment there are these rules and you have to follow them right and well and, and with uh, you know like i during the um, this was kind of my first foray into like really understanding it personally. Uh, like during the quarantine, I started working out um, like as much as I could, like every day, you mm -hmm. know, like see how many days in a row I could do it. And to start to see results, to like get like winded a little, like it takes me longer to get winded all of a sudden. And I realized that like, Oh, I can do this now. And like, I can do X amount of pushups and then I can do X amount of like pushups and like further and further and higher and higher. And like seeing like the results you actually put in, like actually having returns and yeah. actually being fair and actually being like, Oh, if I do the work, I do get a result that I want <laughs> where so much of what you do in the world, especially in the arts, you just feel like you're fucking spinning your wheels. You mm -hmm. do put in the work and it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> you put your heart and soul into this project and then like three people show up to your opening or like two people download your podcast or your, your movie that you spent all this time and money on. Like it gets like one view, you know, like it just, you don't fucking get anything out of it, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I, I see the appeal of, of, of a world of putting yourself into a world where things actually, there is a one-to-one, -one, you know? Um, and, and like even further, like it just makes sense for you as a person, like who you seem, you're very, uh, you have an intense brain. You have a, like a lot going on. You're very aware. You're hyper aware sometimes of what's going on with you and your mind and your body and to where like you have to shut things off like as much as you can, uh, you know, and you found a way to do it with alcohol, but you've also found a way to do it with your, with this, with electronics. Mm -hmm. 
And it's a way that you can pour your like very active brain into something that's also that's equally intense, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I I get the impression, correct me if I'm wrong, that you get bored easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to be doing something all the time. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's also why I drink. It's like it's because I'm bored. Yeah. Like, like, and like if I'm if I'm doing electronics like I can't be drunk when I'm doing that or else it won't work right but if I can spend time you don't hear a lot of, I mean like outside of like Rick and Morty you don't hear of a lot of like drunk scientists you know <laughs> no and like I hate to say this but I do feel like Rick sometimes like where I'm just like this like kind of drunk like I'm gonna do some weird shit like but like that's not who I want to be right at all right. Um, it's not sustainable and like, and I and I know that I can be a creative person without alcohol. I don't need alcohol, but I just, you know, this fucking mental illness. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's extremely hard, and it's like, I mean, I know people who, you know, I've had people on the show who have like gone a bunch of different ways with, um, with a substance, you know, uh, uh, whether it's working on yourself enough that you have a healthier relationship with it whether it's cutting it off entirely and like that's your relationship with it is a non-relationship um or or just i mean yeah i don't know like it's it's been really interesting to me to talk to more people who um who have had substance abuse issues but have not gone for total abstinence Mm. um, because to me, I think, and I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of my ass here, but like I feel like the thing that makes quitting or even readjusting your one's relationship with a substance uh, so difficult can be that it feels like an all or nothing thing. And that idea of just like, I'm never having a drink again is just too, like, that's not acceptable for people, you know? It's real. Like, and I I feel that way. And like, uh, if I ever go through periods of uh, where I'm sober, like, I can't count days because if I start counting days, it's like, it just, my anxiety just like keeps building and building and building. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out a way to, to like be like okay with being sober like it's like why can't I be sober like why can't I just like go home from work and just like hang out and like watch a tv show or something like what does that feel like if that ever happens do you I mean like do you how soon does the restlessness set in it's pretty quick and like I mean you said that like when it like the minute you punch out you're like drinking time yeah and I mean that even that even happens like probably like an hour before I like clock out of work you know it's like there's this so okay so with you know I I talk about this with my therapist a lot and like she gives me a lot of like really good uh, materials and like sends me articles and stuff Um, she gave me this like worksheet that was like cravings typically last an hour so you have to find something like there's just gotta be a way that you have to distract yourself and like I've tried so many different kinds of like grounding techniques and like 
and, and I'm still still trying to learn this. Oh yeah, um, no meditation and all that shit. Like that's that. I I like that stuff in theory, but in practice, I find it so fucking grating, and like it is so hard for me to just like sit with a quiet mind. <laughs> like the only way I've found any type of anything approaching meditation has been through exercise, and it does have mm-hmm. to be fairly intense exercise. Um, where you yes. can't, you physically cannot think of anything else. Otherwise, you'll you'll get hit in the face, or you'll drop a kettlebell on your head. You know, like you you have to concentrate. That's why I ride a bike. Yeah, it's like it really helps get out all of this like anxious energy that I have, or like all this like bullshit that just like manifests mm-hmm. in my body. Um, but yeah, um, fuck, what were we talking about? to it oh um i don't know you were saying that uh oh, man what were you saying you, yeah. you were saying you have um like like a restlessness when you clock out sometimes even oh, before yeah, yeah. you yeah yeah so it's 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 like i just gotta find a way to be okay with being sober and like giving myself an hour window where I'm like, okay, I got to feel these feelings and then be like, what do I do with them? Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the, one of the grounding techniques that my therapist, uh, told me about was this idea. Like it's mostly for like negative thought patterns. So you just imagine a room and it has like two doors, an entrance and an exit. And you, anytime that you have a negative thought pattern, you, imagine this thought pattern coming into this room and then exiting the room Mm -hmm. and it's like the room can look whatever you like whatever you want it to look like um and like i think that's a really good way to deal with it but i get a i get caught up in like well like what what do other people's rooms look like like what like my room looks like it has wooden floors and white walls and like one window you know like what (laughs) You know, I get I get more caught up in like the the actual visuals of it than like yeah. actually helping me. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I just gotta find a fucking way. Yeah, to I mean, I've had this same. They tell you to like think of your thoughts as like leaves on a river, like mm-hmm. a, a leaf floating across a, like a gentle stream, <laughs> and you just you know your thought moves past, and you just like say, and like you just let it pass, you notice it and let it pass. But then, yeah, again, with the visualization, like I'll just start thinking about rivers, I'll just start thinking <laughs> about water, I'll start thinking about nature documentaries, and then all of a sudden I'm off on this like thought trail again, and I'm just like, I didn't even realize that it was a whole fucking leaf that yeah. I was riding on, God damn it. And like, <laughs> it was just resetting that over and over, and like, it is extremely hard to build that discipline. Um, have you been able to, have you been able to like, get through an hour uh and and like actually apply that yeah yeah Uh, not a lot but um it's something that i'm like actively trying to Mm. really do um it's really hard uh it's like you know like i wake up every day and i'm like you know i'm I'm not i'm not gonna drink today like i don't want to drink today i know deep in my core that i do not want to do this thing But then there's that one hour, that fucking one hour window where it's like, come on, go to the liquor store. Like, <laughs> like you can, you, you want to get drunk. Like, it's like, you want to feel good. You don't want to deal with your emotions. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, actually, right. That. Um, and it's, it, I mean, I imagine it's, 
it's compounded by being sort of an introverted person and being a bit of a loner because there's no one else telling you, no. you know, there's you, it's, it's you and yourself, you know? Um, and, and, uh, I don't know, does the idea of reaching out to other people when you're, when you're having those moments, uh, like how does that, does that sound like a possible thing? I mean, I've definitely thought about going to meetings and stuff. Yeah. And I, I think ultimately I would like to do that one day, but I don't know if that's super good for my, uh, just for me like yeah. I'm, I'm i'm much better with like one-on-one sort of conversations yeah like, i mean 12 steps work for some people and they work they <laughs> don't work for other people and there's other meetings besides like you know aa 12 step you know things like that so yeah. like you know i i know some people who swear by that shit and it saved their life and turned them around and mm-hmm. i know some people who are like yeah like no i still don't drink but i don't fuck with that like you know so it's you know there's a lot of different ways you can go for sure yeah, you know, I have a I have a, a friend who goes to meetings often mm-hmm. and they are a recovering heroin addict, but it's like I don't necessarily agree with the like the ideology of mm-hmm. the 12 steps or whatever, but just to have a support group and just have these people that I can yeah. like can hold me accountable and I can call them, you know. Yeah, I mean that's I think more what people find. I mean, I most of the people I know who are in some sort of 12-step program, they don't consider themselves, you know, religious or anything, mm-hmm. even though, like, higher power and all of that stuff is a bigger, you know, is a big part of it. And some people do say God and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, it's it's really about, you know, whatever that higher power may be to you. And to them, it often is about, you know, being of service and, and being a part of, you know, I guess just the human race you know, uh, such as it is, you know, which is like not always a group I want to be in. I get (laughs) it. So, you know, it's, it's very hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, that, you know, that's also like the electronics thing. It's like, you can't, you can't be drunk when you're put in together. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Components and shit. Like, I mean, you can't drink with a robot. I mean, well, unless it's like Bender from Futurama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll drink with you. Yes. <laughs> so he's, I'd stay away from him. He's maybe like not a good influence. He's Probably. Like, he's what we call an enabler. Yeah, definitely yeah. an enabler for me. <laughs> um, yeah. M.A., thank you so much for being on the show. Um, is there any way, uh, you know, is there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, any way people could find you and your work? Anything that you would like to put out there, be it your uh, electronics, your illustration, your cake decoration, <laughs> anything? Um, the only social media that I actively use is my Instagram account, and it's at a Pipers. And um, I'm not going to spell that for you, but... Um, Figure it out. We'll put it in the show notes. It's not that hard, folks. I'm... Uh, I'm trying to rebuild a website with all my work on it right now. So that's in progress, but I have an Instagram and it's private and maybe I'll let you follow me. So. All right. Well, uh, let me know how many follow <laughs> requests you actually get from that. Cause that'll be a good metric of how many people actually listen to this fucking show. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know for sure. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you once again. M.A. Pipers for coming on the show and really, uh, really sharing a lot. I'm always really glad when people can come on the show. Uh, and if they're, you know, at any stage of their 
issues uh, with uh, depression, with anxiety, with uh, substance abuse, eating disorders, any of that stuff, because it's a process getting through that. And I'm always glad to talk to people when they're on the other side of it and when they've worked through it. But I think it's equally important to talk to people who are kind of in the midst of it still. Who are kind of still fighting it. Uh, because you don't hear about that a lot. I think the narrative sometimes in mental health is that it's always from a like, wow, I was so fucked up then and now I'm fine. And I had no idea how bad things were when I was in it. Now I see with the gift of hindsight uh, that I was real, you know, I was, I, I, was, I was in a bad place. The truth is, uh, if you're in, if you're under something, if you're, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with, uh, with a substance, if you're struggling with, uh, with whatever, um, you're often quite aware of it as it's happening. I mean, you've heard me on this show talk about how I am currently struggling with anger issues and, uh, impulsivity. And I'm in the midst of it. I'm in the thick of it, you know? Um, and... I'll record right after I have a like a bad episode of 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 dealing with that. And I know what the problem is, but you can't always fucking get a grip. And you can't always fucking uh fix everything right away. It's a process, and wherever you're at in it is okay so long as you are trying to move forward and you're not wallowing. You know, there's this tricky balance with uh, self-care, self-help, therapy, whatever you want to call it, all this touchy-feely stuff that we talk about on this show, where you have to be patient with yourself. You have to forgive yourself. You have to have some compassion for where you're at in your process, but you also got to keep pushing. You can't. You know, just be complacent and be like, well, I'm struggling and it's hard for me. And you can't, you know, you don't want to Lena Dunham it. You don't want to Janice Soprano it. You know what I'm saying? You got to keep actually doing a thing. That's the important part. So, if you're struggling, keep on going. Know that... You might spend a lot of time in the thick of it. That's how it is. But you'll get through it. If. Big if. If you keep moving. And you don't stay stuck in that pattern. You do something every day. One thing. One motherfucking thing every day. Be it. Exercising. Be it. uh, Choosing at one moment to. You know, go do the good thing instead of the bad thing. Do some creative writing or reach out to a friend rather than uh, reaching for the bottle or uh, turning on some porn and jerking off. You know what I mean? 
not that those are necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but if that's your compulsion or whatever, you know what I'm saying. If that's the thing that you got, you got an issue with, just choose it. Just choose not to. One day, um, talk to somebody, uh, do a project, but do an errand or do some shit, do some tedious shit that you've been putting off. I was putting off putting up this stupid window film, and I did it, and it sucked. It was really annoying. I didn't have enough room to work. I just spread out the paper and fucking cut it on a like a cardboard box on the floor. I didn't have enough room to like really like measure everything correctly. And I was like, I hope I don't cut this wrong. But I did it. I had to have the windows closed so there's like no air in here. I was getting all sweaty. But I did it. And I feel better now. Now I got a room of rainbows. See what I'm saying? Use me as an example. See, because I am doing everything right. I know what to do and I'm good. Anyway. Enough of this. I gotta go to work and shit. Uh, Patreon.com slash self-worst. Follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at self-worst on Instagram. Email the show selfworst at gmail.com um, music is by Shea Bartell and that's all have a good week have a good September keep moving and until next time go out and fail it's good for you